Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today, we have Larry Taylor from sunny Southern California with us today. He is the founder and CEO of Christina. Um, a lot of redevelopment, a lot of experience, over 40 years of real estate experience in, uh, in the package that is Larry Taylor. I'm super excited to jump into this. Larry, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Gabe, my pleasure. And thank you for uh, having me on your show. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. I told you before we got on here, we like to start with stories. We like to hear how people got to where they are. So why don't you take us back way 40 years ago to the beginning? How did you get started in real estate? Well, the very beginning is, is you know, really goes back to uh, uh, age 10. I mean, so I mean, we'll go back that far. It's a little bit interesting. I'll try to annotate it so that it doesn't drag. But uh, I was born in a coal mining town in the East Coast in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. And uh, my parents were refugees, and that's where they ended up. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and uh, you know, it was a very very blue collar town, and uh, it was a very dismal place to grow up because it was coal mining. It was uh, never uh, never a sunny day. Um, a lot of people out of work, coal mines were giving out. And, uh, uh, but, you know, as, as a child, it was fun. There was football, there was baseball, there was basketball, the playground. Uh, as a kid, I didn't know a different world. And then one day my dad traveled to Los Angeles to visit friends and started sending postcards back of palm trees and blue skies and... <laughs> Just simply one day told my mother that we were moving to Los Angeles and she was like in shock. Um, and I just had no idea what the other world was like. And then I came to Los Angeles. We drove across cross country uh, and we came to Los Angeles and I saw blue skies and palm trees and the Pacific Ocean and thought either I was dead and I went to heaven or somehow this is heaven and I'm still alive. I don't know. But <laughs> I never want to leave this place. And so, uh, but I did grow up in a multi-story home in a small town. And uh, our first residence in Los Angeles was a two-bedroom, one-bath apartment with two older sisters. And it was very miserable to be the youngest of three with two sisters who are older. You never get the bathroom and I'm sleeping on the couch. <laughs> and so, um, and then my parents' friends that were living in Los Angeles all had single-family homes some had swimming pools. They were all driving beautiful cars. We had an old 1960 Rambler. They're driving Cadillacs and Lincolns. And I'm like, I can't live like this. So I picked up the phone and I called a real estate broker and said, look, I need to buy a house. I was 11 by then. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, what age were you here? 11. 11. That's and right. a guy showed up. Guy showed up. And the first thing that impressed me was the car. I'm kind of a car buff. I used to build little models when I was even younger. And uh, the guy shows up in like one of my dream cars, which at that time was a 66 Oldsmobile Toronado front wheel drive. And, you know, with a cool odometer, the odometer went that way instead of that way. I was like, God, this guy's cool. 
And he looks at me and he says, how can I help you? I said, I need a house. And now I'm tall. I'm six foot three. I was a tall kid. And I had a level of maturity that was different than 10 or 11 year olds in LA because I grew up in a hard travel blue collar neighborhood where the only way that you could survive was to be able to be big enough to beat up the guys that were going to beat you up. So, uh, and there was not a swear word in my vocabulary that I didn't know. And the kids that I met here wouldn't even use a swear word. So I was pretty, pretty, you could believe that I was a little older than I was in this guy. So I sit in the car and he says, well, where do you want to live? I go, well, this area looks pretty good, but I want a house. So he starts recommending areas. And then he says, you know, why don't you just look at apartment buildings? And I went, dude, I don't want to live in an apartment building. This is like, <laughs> you don't get it, like man. Where, where I grew up in Pennsylvania, apartments were for, for people that were poor and, and I want a house. And he explained to me a phenomenon about Los Angeles, particularly the West Side, where I was living in the West Side, where we moved. Uh, he said, um, you can buy an apartment building that has a three-bedroom, three-bathroom owner's unit and maybe nine other units that pay rent to you, and then you get to live for free. You're and like, I said, right. I went, That's, I, that, that can't be. And so essentially... We started looking at these apartment buildings that were built by in the 50s and 60s. This was very typical of the west side of Los Angeles, where a family would build a building and they would live in the unit and they would rent the other units. And I said, Well, then how do you buy something like this? My parents only have seven thousand dollars in cash for their name. He goes, Well, you borrow the money. I go, Who does that? And he goes, Oh. Savings and loans, insurance companies, you know, they make these loans for 30 years. And and then you take the tenant's money and you use that money to pay the loan back. So I said, let me get this right. You buy a building, you live in the building, you collect rent from the other tenants, you live for free, you borrow the money, and the other people pay the loan back. You borrow it, but they pay it. He said, that's right. I go, that's impossible. Sign me up. And that was the start of my real estate career. That's actually, (laughs) and I got that deal done. And not long after, sold that for a profit, bought a single family home for my family. Um, So at 13, we already had a first single family home, uh, prime location. Now that home would probably be two and a half million. Then it was. $29,250. $29,250. Isn't that crazy what time does to real estate prices? Well, that's 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 56 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, but it, I, I certainly, I had the idea early because I was driven to, to do something better for my family. But then when I learned this magic of, you know, how real estate worked, and then I, as I got on into it further... Um, I learned about, you know, how buildings were valued. Basically, everything was a 10. Interest rates were 10%. You bought an apartment building, it was 10 times the gross income. Um, you know, basically, uh, that's how it worked. And uh, so I, uh, I accelerated through high school, uh, got a scholarship to USC. And my junior year, I formed this real estate company with a, with a classmate. And we started buying apartment buildings. 
during President uh, Nixon's wage and price level freeze, uh, where all all prices, all goods, all services, all wages, all rents, everything was frozen. And I was huh. studying. I didn't know yeah. that actually happened. That's interesting. Oh yeah, 1972, 1973, 1974, we had three different levels of price freezes. This was in the Nixon administration's. And that was way. a. That was That's a national it, policy. National, federal. Wow. You went into a supermarket and there was a sign for every single product: eggs, butter, cheese, milk. Prices were frozen, and this was the Nixonian way of fighting inflation. Huh, interesting. Uh, it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was fortunate to take a class in business school where we studied the history of price controls and our professor, a brilliant professor, explained why price controls never worked. And when the controls came off, prices would explode. Mm. So what a great time to start buying. So since everything was frozen, uh, yep. and we were... You know, in a situation where you know banks couldn't call loans, there was a there was a period of time in the U.S. Uh, where there was a lawsuit, Bank of America versus Wellencamp, which went all the way to the Supreme Court, which basically stood for the holding that banks could not accelerate loans merely because properties transferred, meaning that the due on sale provision mm-hmm. was wiped out. Interesting. So for my- from 1972 or three till about 1979, till the Garnack passed, anybody could transfer any property without telling the lender. Hmm. So now, I mean, that's so you're buying part. all these, like essentially subject to. Yeah. So all these apartment buildings, you know, the first building we bought um, was a ten unit building, an eight unit building that we somehow made into a ten unit. We bought it with no money down, and never told the bank about the loan, and uh, sold it while I was a a senior in college for a $33,000 profit. Right. Now, Which back to, then I'm sure a couple hundred thousand now. The tuition at USC was $3,200 a year. Oh man. <laughs> and crazy. my parents could never have afforded to pay that. that. Never. Yeah. I needed a scholarship. Do you understand? I make 33,000 while I'm a student. Now, because I'm a scholarship student in a business school, in the School of Accounting, I'm supposed to interview with what are known as the big eight. Mm, yeah. And uh, Accenture, Ernst Young, all those guys. All of those. You got it. And so I don't know what to do. I mean, the standard offer was $900 a month. I just made 33000 <laughs> I don't want this. What are you talking about? And that was really how I started the real estate business. You know, it's just uh, started really at age 11. Yeah, and uh, you know, by eighteen nineteen, I was rolling. Nice. Uh, and uh, my first office was in Century City, which is a uh, you know, L.A. It's kind of a pretty significant West Side um, high rise environment. It's the old tenth, it's the old twentieth century Fox lot, mm. which was you know starting to be redeveloped by Alcoa and others. And um, that's where I started. And then you know, there were mentors, and everybody has a mentor at some point, or if they're Fortunate people, I should say, people that you look up to. And I met two very important people in my life. One one guy by the name of Sam Freshman, who wrote the book Principles of Real Estate Syndication in 1972. And Jerry Buss, who uh, ultimately became the owner of the Lakers, the Kings, and the Forum in Los Angeles, went into sports. But but Jerry Buss was a syndicator. Mm. And Sam wrote the book on syndication. 
And they took me under their wing and taught me the syndication business. And I became a syndicator. Interesting, man. Well, yeah. I love your, your story. Um, I love, I feel like it, it goes to illustrate how the, the times that you're in present unique opportunities to those times. Um, and you really have to be, you know, you have to grab the bowl by the horns, as they say, um, when the time is right, because, uh, you know, that time's going to pass the 3% interest that we had that passed this opportunity where they had price freezing and, uh, the inflation was going to hit or the, the price inflation was going to hit later on that passed. And so you really got to be cognizant of what the, of the time that you're in, um, because that is a opportunity in itself. Since that point, since that start, I mean, you have gone, it sounds like you've done pretty much everything, but a lot of it is in development and redevelopment. Um, at what point, wh- why did you si- decide to go into development? And at what point did you switch from the syndication model to development? Well, number one, the, na- the development part, that part of the name of the company was just to signify that it was a real estate company. But my view of development is let developers build so they can fail and buyer investors can buy. I think <laughs> I mean, even though development was in the name of the company, and yes, the company has developed many properties, but only because, you know, it's like drilling oil in a proven field. Mm. You know, if there's a proven field where there's oil wells that are pumping three to 400 barrels a day, and you can drill an oil well in between the two others, you know you're going to get oil. Yeah. So if we own four buildings on a block, and we can buy the property in the middle and, and build a building and pre-lease it, then, you know, we just know what we're doing, but we've never been speculative developers. Mm -hmm. We are opportunistic investors that have only ever believed in the motto of location, location, location. Mm -hmm. We have the best year round climate in Los Angeles. We don't own any real estate that isn't within five miles of the coast. We only invest in the seven sub markets of West LA. There are no vacant parcels of land anymore on the West side. The real estate values since we started in business nearly 50 years ago have only gone up. Mm. doesn't mean there aren't periodic adjustments, but I can look back over 50 years and say that this is probably the most in-demand location in the United States, perhaps in the world, Yeah, um, because it's the U.S. So um, we're not developers. We're really opportunistic investors. And syndication was a great model. It was a great, great business. It's still alive. Yeah. And so um, if you, I mean, you have so much experience and it's really hard to, you know, to crystallize that into something that we can digest in in a 15, 20 minute podcast. But if you were to kind of look at what you've done over the previous 40 years, and if you could glean out one strategy that if you were to start again today, you feel would be just a tried and true solid strategy that um, you would definitely, you know, redo if you if you did the whole thing again, which strategy would that be? Is it syndication, syndicating uh, uh, multifamily um, apartments? Uh, I believe in real estate product is irrelevant. I mm, think the okay. most relevant thing is location, location, location. Yeah. None of us were, as we were growing up, we're taught by apartments, 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 or by office, office, office. You are always taught location, location, location. Yeah. Good neighborhoods only get better. Yeah. So, you know, it just, to, to say that, you know, would I do something different or start over? Or how would I do it differently or, or what? 
uh, if that was your question, the, the answer is no. It's just find the right location. Uh, but remember one thing too is that when it comes to investment real estate, the value of the investment is very much tied to federal policy. Mm, okay. okay. The government subsidizes investment real estate. It's the only industry other than oil and gas that the U.S. government has consistently subsidized since the income tax came into effect in the early 1900s, 1917, I believe, or 1916, right around World War I. I didn't yeah, know so that there yeah. wasn't an in- income tax. I thought that was something that started with no. you know, 18, 1887 or whatever. No, no. And so the government stimulates real estate because it stimulates the economy. Every single administration during every single recession since the Great Depression has used tax policy to stimulate the economy. So when you look at real estate, the investment grade real estate, and you look at depreciation, amortization, tax credits, uh, uh, capital gain, shelter, all of these things, the idea of making money in real estate is not paying taxes Mm -hmm. and great fortunes are made in real estate by owning great real estate, operating it, operating it effectively, never selling it, financing it when the opportunities are great because there's no debt, there's no tax on debt and, uh, and, and depreciating your properties and writing off your personal property and, and basically figuring out a way to capitalize on the increase in value of the real estate and never pay tax. Yeah. And that's how you make money in real estate. Everything else is irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. And the the tax side of real estate is something that, um, especially on things like podcasts, we don't often talk about because it's it's not the front end. It's not the you know the underwriting and analyzing and finding good properties and negotiating and all that stuff. Um, but there there is a huge benefit, obviously, in the depreciation, and it's something that um, I feel like a lot of people when they're just getting started, they don't really recognize how that how much that's going to benefit them. Um, especially in you are you already mentioned the refinancing properties and taking out the uh, the equity from the property and using that as your as your windfall as your profit. Um, I I didn't even recognize that until recently, and I think it was in uh, Sam Zell's book where he mentioned that 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 was the key to real estate is yeah. financing properties. Well, Sam um, and I shared Sam and I shared a very common story as far as our beginning and the way we looked at life. And uh, he recently passed away, unfortunately, and uh, got to meet him, you know, ten or fifteen years ago. But uh, uh, it sounds simple you know, simplified, but the idea is to own great real estate, which becomes more valuable. And as it becomes more valuable, you have options of being able to extract more money out of that real estate. But the worst thing that you can do is sell great real estate because the government then penalizes you by charging you a tax on your gain and gain is calculated from your depreciated basis. But anybody interested in investing in real estate must first have gained an understanding of the tax aspects. Because if you don't understand the tax aspects, you might as well not invest in the real estate. Because the penalty is is extraordinary for getting out. Because even if you lose money on a real estate investment, you'll still have a tax penalty. 
that is something I actually did not know. I haven't lost oh, money on, on a real estate deal yet, you know, knocking on wood. Uh, but I did not know. And this maybe this is my own naivety here. So say I bought a property for 150000 when it, you know, shit just hit the fan and it didn't turn out well. I had to sell it for 100000 You're still taxed on you know, the capital gain. Well, there is no was capital it, gain. Was it an improved property? Um, well, you tell me. Is there a difference was between... Was it an apartment building or an office building or a retail building? Yeah, let's just say it was... Uh, right. let's, yeah. Okay, so every year you file your tax return and you're taking your depreciation and amortization because the government requires you to depreciate the assets, right? Mm-hmm. So you bought it for 150, you sold it for 100, but a hundred of the 150 was building which you were depreciating. So by the time you sold it, your depreciated basis was 70. Mm. Now you sell it at a hundred, you lose the 50 of the 150, but you're going to be taxed from the 70 to the hundred. Yeah, that makes sense. You've got to pay tax on the 30 because you have to recover your negative basis. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And you'll be taxed at the maximum tax rate, depending on what your tax your tax bracket is, but it could be as high as 40%. Hmm. And now you really feel bad because not only did you lose your money, but now you've got to pay the government. So there's a lot to understand. Real estate is an exciting business, but all the aspects of it when it comes to the investment side need to be fully understood. And most people don't understand that it's driven by the cost and availability of money and the availability of significant tax benefits. When you have those two ingredients, you've got a good market. If tax legislation is unfavorable to you, and if the cost and availability of money is not favorable, then you're gonna be in a very declining market. And so right now, what's interesting is the cost of money has gone up 10 times. Um, it's rendered almost any properties that were purchased, investment properties that were purchased based on a cap rate, it's rendered them 30 to 40% less valuable, mm-hmm. which means that all of those properties now underwater from an underwriting point of view if they're levered, which means now the banks are holding properties that are worth less than the amount of debt. Government will then come in the regulators to say to them, tell your borrowers to put in more money Borrowers are generally reluctant to put in more money or they don't have it. And the system starts to unwind. So yeah. we've been we've been unwinding now for a year and a half. People are praying for some relief that the Fed will somehow wake up and realize that they're destroying the commercial real estate business. Um, I don't think so. I've lived this story before. Um, I don't think we have the brightest people uh, necessarily uh, running things, although we do have some bright people. But at the end of the day, this creates opportunities for investors. So, you know, Warren Buffett, who always says, you know, be greedy when others are fearful. Uh, Banks are fearful. Property owners are fearful. Buy. Yep. So. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, they always say, what is it that uh, every crisis is also an opportunity or something like that? Um, yeah, out of chaos comes opportunity. Yeah, there you go. And unless, then, unless you're sitting there with an inventory of chaos and almost anybody that's in the real estate business sees both. Wow, great opportunities are out there, but I can't get the bank to finance it or I can't raise the capital to do it. 
because banks won't loan and investors think the other way. They only want to invest when the market's going up. Right. So, you know, you might see the opportunity in the chaos, but your ability to capitalize on that might be limited because others might not share your vision. Yeah, which is why it's so important to understand the, the real estate that you're investing in forwards and backwards so you can communicate the value to your investors because uh, you're right in, in markets like this, it's it's difficult to get deals done. Um, especially I feel like I, you know, I do self-storage mobile home parks and I feel like the the pricing expectations has still not aligned between buyers and sellers. I feel like sellers are still thinking in the 3% interest rate zone and buyers are thinking in the 7% interest rate zone. And so we're just, we haven't, we haven't met in the middle, um, which can get frustrating, but, but Hey, I uh, just took a peek at the clock. I love everything you've said. You have so much wisdom, but we do have to move on. It's time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? Okay, sure. All right. Starts with books or any form of education. Give me two recommendations, one for general life wisdom, one for real estate specific. Definitely Sam Zell's uh, last book, which is, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's a great book. Uh, Something like, am I sounding stupid? Am I being too subtle? Yeah. Am I being too subtle? Exactly. I have it on my bookshelf. Uh, and the other book that I would recommend is uh, Sam Freshman's latest edition of the Principles of Real Estate Syndication, mm. which will teach any investor the specifics of what they need to know to understand real estate investment. Principles of Real Estate Syndication. I like it. By Samuel Freshman. I think he's on volume edition three. All right. All right. Good recommendations. I have that Sam Zell book. I haven't read it yet, but it has been on my list because I do want to read it. He, uh, especially, you know, he's a big guy in mobile home parks and uh, it would just be interesting. He seems like such a colorful character and I'd, I'd like to get his, um, his view on life. So Den, I'll definitely have to pick that one up. Moving us on to the next question. And this is for your younger self. We got to go way back. Let's go back to the to this, the version of you that was 10 years old, just getting into real estate. Go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Never give up. Never give up. I like it. Good advice. You're actually, I think you might be the first person to say that, but I think, feel like that is very good advice, especially in real estate, because you're going to get kicked in the face more times than you can think. Um, and you'll want to give up, but don't give up because... The only way to win is just to keep moving forward. Good advice. Next question is about the US. It's a big place, a lot of opportunity out there. Uh, I think I know how you're going to answer this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Which metro are you most excited about investing in today? I would never leave the west side of Los Angeles. There you go. Niche down, niche down. I love it. All right. Second or next question is about finding deals. Every Every deal starts with the acquisition, starts with the finding of the deal in the first place. So what's your favorite way to find good deals? I read the obituaries every morning. Interesting. Okay. Go into that a little bit more. Well, great real estate rarely becomes available. Hmm. Okay. And probably more than 75% of great real estate in the United States is owned privately. Right. People don't sell. But when there is a death... Okay, there's generally an estate tax to pay, and that creates a situation where a seller who's owned a property for 50, 80, 100 years may have to sell in order to be able to pay estate tax. Mm. So I always start with the obituary, and then I work 
estate attorneys, trust attorneys, banks, insurance companies, uh, pretty much uh, uh, tax accountants who you know become aware of clients that have a big tax bite, usually stemming from some other event that has a relationship to why they need to sell. And right now, to be honest with you, um, even though we see a very ebullient market this morning and a response stock market is up because the, the debt ceiling issue has been resolved by the Senate, but the truth is the Dow Jones Industrial Average at one time was at 37,000 to 33,000. The tech industry has slaughtered a lot of people. There's tremendous losses that have taken place in the stock world. And then recently, the meltdown of Silvergate Bank, um, uh, First Republic Bank, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, people who own stocks in banks have lost a fortune. They now need to be able to sell something to be able to fill the hole. So you always look for opportunities where people need to sell, never want to buy real estate from people that want to sell. Yep. That is uh, that is timeless advice. And it's something that is it's hard to stick with, especially if you're in a deal drought and you haven't closed anything in a while, you're going to want to just buy the next deal. But uh, Better resist even, that temptation. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. It's hard to for sure. Um, all right, I'm moving us on to the next question, and this is about your business. Uh, the first three positions we hire form the foundation of our business. So, what were they, and would you do it differently if you did it again today? I don't know necessarily that I agree with that, um, okay. but let's say accepting accepting that that is a true statement. Um, certainly, you have to have a controller. You have to have somebody that watches the numbers for you. So a good controller will will serve you well. And certainly um, a good asset manager, project manager, property manager, whatever it is, you need somebody on the ground that is a good operator. Because at the end of the day, that is the difference between making it or not, particularly in difficult times. When rents are going up and, and expenses are pretty modest, you're fine. But when you're in an environment where it's tough, you need somebody who's very, very capable of operating a real estate project like a business, particularly, as you know, in a mobile home park business, it's a little bit more management intensive than public storage, which doesn't take a lot of management. Uh, but still, you need somebody to be aware of how to make money on real estate when the going gets tough. Now, Jerry Buss was a mathematician and a PhD in mathematics, and Jerry could calculate the average life of a light bulb. <laughs> Jerry Buss could reduce the amount of operating costs on a building by eliminating half the light bulbs in the common areas. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Like right now, I'm replacing all of my lighting on my parking lots with uh, all of the new lighting that's out there that consumes one-tenth of the power. Um, and I'm just going to reduce my electricity bills. I'm putting solar panels up on a lot of the buildings now just to bring down the cost of energy, yep. uh, where it's finally become cost-efficient. But I would never have thought of that if I didn't have good people on the ground. So the first hires would be an operator and a controller. So, yep. so you can go out there and do your thing and then 
let them take care of making sure that the property operates efficiently and the money that you need is there to pay the pay the mortgage and your operating expenses. I love it. Uh, I feel like that is, you know, that is the best way to do it. Operator, controller. Um, and man, you're talking about mobile home parks. They're being a little bit more intensive. You talked about, you know, operations, having somebody good in the field. And I cannot stress that enough. Having a good property manager um, on site is so, so much better. I've had bad ones and they will give you a, they'll just, they'll be a thorn in your side. But once you find a good one, you got to hold on to them because those guys are worth their weight in gold. 100%. Um, Yep. All right. Moving us on to the next question. And this is, let's see, I lost my spot. So I'm just going to have to look through here. There we go. Um, So none of us are islands. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. So give me one mentor who has contributed significantly to your career today. It's hard to pick one. I've had several that I've mentioned. Yeah, you don't have to pick one. Um, it's uh, you can do a handful. You can just uh, just shout them out. Just more. It's just an opportunity to give you a chance to uh, to thank the people that got you to where you are right now. You know, I, I would I'd simply say it was Sam Freshman that taught me syndication. It was Jerry Buss that reinforced that. Um, certainly, I was motivated by a number of others that came along the way that have left left us. Some names that I wouldn't mention because they're very well-known names and I don't want to bring them into the press. Or, but um, uh, I would stay. I would say with those two, there was one other person who's no longer with us who was a very sophisticated CPA and tax person that uh, really reinforced uh, the tax aspects of real estate, um, which is the whole reason that, you know, this whole investment world exists and uh, he's no longer with us either. So my mentors are all dead, yeah. except Sam is still alive. But um, I saw a guy last night who's still around named Dick Simon, uh, who uh, started a number of different real estate companies, Arden, which went public uh, and sold uh, to uh, General Electric. And uh, now he's got um, Rexford Industrial, which is a publicly traded REIT. His operating partner at Arden uh, started his own publicly traded REIT right now. So, and then I was at a dinner last night honoring a good friend of mine named Robert Hart, who owns a company called True America, which I think is the fourth or fifth largest apartment owner in the United States. Um, or Hassan Naji, who's president of Marcus Amilichap, who's a good friend of mine. Who, uh, you know, these are these are the the people that I'm surrounded with you know, previously and currently, but, you know, these are industry leaders. Um, I could tell you that Jamie Diamond is a mentor, you know, uh, when Jamie uh, elevated my firm into the KREG group, which, you know, were the vaulted, you know, the best borrowers that got the best financing. In fact, because I'm in that group and because of Jamie Diamond and because of the dinners that I had with Jamie over the years, um, you know, I just got a loan on an apartment project on the west side with a debt coverage ratio of one one five, which we haven't seen in the last two years. All right, I and, love it. And, and a rate reduction yesterday. Wow, there you go. Right. Okay, but that's Jamie that, Diamond who says, "Look, you know, I only want the best borrowers. I want the smartest ones. I want the ones that I can rely on that will pay me back." 
and I will always service them no matter what the market is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I know I named more than one, but yeah, no, that's any, fine. There isn't it, any one that stands out more it than really, the other, except there's a couple names that I don't want to name for personal reasons. Yeah. Well, it just goes to illustrate the fact that there are so many people that help us get to where we are. You know, we're never, we're never single man armies. We're always out there with other people. We're helping each other out. And so I love to see so many people have, uh, affected your, your um, career in a positive way. Um, you know, after 40 years, it sounds like you've had great experiences with them all. So great to hear that. And that I'm going to lead us to the very last question. And this is for the listeners. You've given us a lot to think about, a lot to chew on. I'm sure people want to reach out, um, get in contact with you. So what is the best way for people to reach out? Well, the best way is just to simply go on to IR at ChristinaLA.com. Uh, and that gets to our you know investor relations team, and then it flows up to me. That's ir at christinala.com. And I will just say one more thing in terms of mentors. There was a multi-billionaire friend of mine who was at one time the wealthiest individual in the state of California. And I went to him with an opportunity to make a loan on a project that I was purchasing. And he looked up at me from the desk and he says, why are you doing a $10 million deal when you could do a $100 million deal? And I looked at him <laughs> incredulously. So I was 20, 20 years younger than I am. So I might have been in my 40s. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, Larry, it takes the same amount of time to do a $100 million deal as a $10 million deal. Why would you waste your time on that? So the bottom line is, if you've got it, think big. Don't do the small stuff. Nice, man. I love it. That is a uh, a good sign-off cue there because absolutely right. Going big is the way to go. Um, it takes the same amount of time, Gabe. Yep. Yep. You might as well go bigger because you know it's going to take you the same amount of time. So you might as well get the better ROI. All right. Well, hey, Larry, that wraps it up. I uh, really appreciate you hopping on the show today. My pleasure, Gabe. Thank you for having me as your guest. I appreciate it. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe, at the realestateinvestingclub.com. And if you guys want to support the show, all we ask is you give us a like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.